Hey everybody, it's Christine Marie. How are you doing out there? Today I'm talking about the psycho-spiritual opportunity in menopause and midlife for women and the free period and all kinds of other things because I think it's time that we opened up the conversation about crossing that threshold with joy and vitality and a vision for what it means to be a wise woman and an elder. So are you ready? I'm going to start with a poem. You know, I like to do that once in a while. This one's by Lucille Clifton, born in 1936, died in 2010, to my last period. Well, girl, goodbye. After 38 years, 38 years, and you never arrived splendid in your red dress without trouble from me somewhere, somehow. Now it is done, and I feel just like the grandmothers who, after the hussy is gone, sit holding her photograph and sighing. Wasn't she beautiful? Wasn't she beautiful? Yeah. So, the third age, as it's often called, the sort of last third of life, for many women comes with approximate biological marker, the end of menstruation. Our hormones and cycles may change suddenly or gradually over a multi-year period until eventually monthly bleeding stops completely, and the average age at which this happens in the West for this final menopause is 52, but it can range from the early 40s to the mid-60s. And I know a lot of women who have surgical menopause, it happens a lot earlier, but that isn't coincident with a lot of the other life markers that kind of go with the traditional biological menopause. So for today, I'm focusing on the life stage component. And then postmenopause, I find, is a boring name for the time after the bleeding stops. It's a boring word for one of the most creatively vital parts of our life. And this is why I call it the free period. For many of us, menopause consists with empty nesting or the end of active childbearing. It often includes a midlife assessment of where we are on our path. And it's usually although not always in this sort of economically upside down world we're in, connected to some degree of savings or material comfort. It's often a period also of less psycho-emotional drama. We've been through many financial and political cycles, wars, disasters, often on repeat, such that poisonous alarm quality that comes through media and culture no longer agitates us. We've sort of found a way to do the work that matters to us where we're planted, many of us. And by this time of life, we have a certain resilience. There's been loss, there's been heartbreak, there's been skill building, there's been experience. We've often done a lot of inner work or therapy. Many people who have addictions have overcome them. If we have been taking responsibility for our quality of life, by this time, we know a lot about ourselves. If we've been taking responsibility, we probably are entering this phase pretty thoughtful. Yet still, as we say goodbye to the bleeding and integrate what we've learned from what would be the bearing years, it's a chance for many of us to look again, to ask questions like, what do I want for my third age? What adaptations to my early life am I still holding on to that are no longer helpful? And as I said before, it's a time to cross a threshold, like the one we cross from girlhood into puberty, which we call adolescence, or the process we go through when we become a mother, matrescence. And now we are moving from matron to wisdom keeper, which I think we might consider calling sapiescence. This psycho-emotional maturation comes at a time when many of our cellular structures and body parts are wearing down. So there is a certain irony in it. Thus the phrase, youth is wasted on the young, 
although I know many very wise innocents of all ages, it's not a comparative thing. I'm not saying that older people are wiser than young people. It's that we are each wiser than we each once were. So this sort of quality of sapiescence is personal. While we are launching children and empty nesting or learning to live in a new adult relationship with those children who continue to live at home, which by the way, if you have that, that's a tender navigation in and of itself. You know, we are also riding waves of many of us caring for our own parents, sometimes losing them, which puts us in direct confrontation with our own eventual death. So the questions of, you know, where we're nested in the fabric of time space are really up in this period of our life. But throughout all of these aspects, there is a deep invitation at midlife to get ever more in touch with our own deep creative well, what Erickson called our generativity, how we tap into source, how we replenish and care for our being. So envisioning ourselves in the decades after menopause is valuable, even for younger women who often have anxieties about aging. Can you see yourself in your mind's eye in your own vibrant maturity. Whether you're 35 or 45 or 55, getting a clear download on what that might look like can not only amplify our peace and pleasure in the future, but right now and lessen our fear of this decline. Personally, I have talked about this before on my show and on other people's shows. I have found that the free period is the best part of life in a female body, so far anyway. And I can also tell you that was not something I expected at all at 35. So I'm writing this book. You probably heard on reverence. It's coming out in a few weeks. It's reverence, a guide to ritual in modern life or an invitation to ritual in modern life. And it really starts out with sort of what is this reverence quality? And I will do a separate show on reverence, um, reading some excerpts from the book coming up, but it's about paying attention in a lot of ways and making meaning and falling in love with life and slowing down enough to really stand back and appreciate and stand in awe. And there are a lot of rituals in the book. So I put ritual, uh, moving from habitual to ritual as part of this reverence because thoughtful and intentional ceremonies really can help us mark milestones, make meaning, join with others, be witnessed, amplify our sense of belonging and so much more. Here, a thoughtful and intentional ceremony can really help us navigate the physical and cultural changes that come in midlife and be like a graduation into a new era of creativity. The pagans and the Unitarians have ceremonies for this. They call them croning ceremonies. But that term has been so loaded. Crone has connotations of hag and some fairy tale kind of bad witch. But in these more expansive spiritual traditions. Croning is a stepping into the fullness of what you've learned and been gifted with thus far. Seeing where you are still growing and being recognized in your community as a wisdom keeper. In the Unitarian tradition, for example, the croning rite of passage can be called when a woman has either reached the age of 50, gone through menopause, become a grandmother, or has, and this is their language, decided for a reason deemed right by the woman herself that it is appropriate to claim this status. When we visibly practice this ritual, we're reclaiming reverence and status for the wise woman and the elder, not only for ourselves, but in the culture. I read a beautiful essay by uh, Elaine Mansfield in which she describes her own ceremony of gathering 
in the wilderness with women of many different ages to mark her transition to crondom. She wrote, Now I'm safe from her reproductive demands, no more babies, no more birth control. I'm relieved but also sad. My cycles of bleeding, so central to the last 34 years, are over. I mark my life on the calendar of those cycles. I depended on their familiar rhythms, and now they are gone, irrevocably gone. Another um, author that I found that I really liked, a woman named Tara Kreau Woman, writes, To me, the life transition that makes a woman a crone is the most important and beautiful transition we get. In her writing, she points out that puberty happens when we're not quite intentional yet about who we're becoming, and the intentions of this stage of elderhood are self-created. The end of menstruation ritual um, may include, as it did for Mansfield, saying goodbye to bleeding and pregnancy and fear of pregnancy. It may also include discarding the male gaze, if that's still a thing for you, because by this age, we're no longer primarily defining ourselves in relationship to men, someone's object of desire, someone we belong to, someone we're the daughter of, but rather we're welcoming a new time of standing in our own power. Now, you guys, I know I'm so heteronormative. It's like I can't barely get out of my own mind. So for those of you who stopped doing that, defining yourself in relationship to men a long time ago, please accept my apologies. Um, I'm probably just projecting. But I do know that there are a lot of women, particularly in this age group who came of age in the 70s and, you know, that still hold that stuff in their deep bones and core. Anyway, shifting the relationship to choosing, strengthening and choosing more expansive relationships to other women, sister, mother figure, leader, mentor. I like to think that at this point in our lives, we're lifting up the next two generations and we're still standing in reverent relationship to our elder sisters and our peers. So the invitation of the free period is to love and accept all of yourself, to forgive yourself and others, and to get in touch again with your own innocent heart, to make a commitment to ongoing learning, to release desirability as a source of value, and to craft a vision for a powerful future for yourself. So I'm going to share something really personal with you now, and that's the affirmation I used for my own crone ritual. So if you decide to do this, I want you to please personalize it and write your own. Now, I will tell you that the first line I wrote is, thank you, life, for making me a woman. And that is a direct response to Orthodox Judaism, where the men say, thank you, God, for not making me a woman as part of their daily prayer. How offensive. Sorry, dudes out there. Anyway, that's why it starts out that way. Thank you, life, for making me a woman. For my first flow, the great sex, the first pregnancy, the first milk. For all of the pleasure. For every time I felt the pride of this curvy body and its fertility. For all of the pain and challenges, too. For the discrimination and objectification, even self-objectification, because my soul learned from those experiences. Thank you for all of the amazing gifts of being in a receptive, powerful, life-creating vessel. 
Thank you for all the experiences of life in a body that is so acutely tuned to the cycles of preparation and declension, the waxing and the waning, the feeling of the seas and tides within me. Forgive me, life, for any time I turned against my own body. Thank you for the fruits of this body's labor. Thank you for bringing into existence through this body my children and for feeding them both through my body and through the labors of my body-mind and for bringing them safely into adulthood. Thank you for the decades of energy that it took to raise these people and for the chance to get to know their spirits. And thank you also for the last milk, the last birth, the last flow. Now I am released from the flow. I have been given a new stability. I now embody spiritual, material, and intellectual fertility in the form of wisdom, service, and knowledge. I contain myself. I'd like to acknowledge the flowering of my earned and cultivated skills and wisdom, including peaceful relations, peace in my body, meaningful work, balanced books, clear choices, the ability to write and publish, the knowledge of how to run a household and a company, the ability to make music, and to always be loving and learning. I see the depth and friendship and support of my ancestors and children, my lovers and friends, colleagues and acquaintances, and the natural world and how it supports me all the time, how the trees and the sea and the garden nourish me in every moment. I see how technology and science and innovation makes every day of my life more interesting and keeps my body prime. What a time it has been to be alive, nested in the web of things. And from this place, at this turning, I speak into being the vision I have been given for myself in this new period of life. Look, I'm not going to go into all my visions for myself, but as in all threshold rituals, you want to follow up your gratitudes with a vision and be super, super detailed. You know, mine included things that had to do with athleticism, like being on a mountain, ready-cheeked and laughing. And I had some things in there about wanting to be part of a council of multiracial elders that are working to bring peace and conflict resolution to areas that have suffered war. And I really saw my relationships in my vision, in particular, you know, the person that I wanted to spend my elder years with. And there was also some images of community that came to me because I went into a real vision quest. So if you personally are having trouble naming a vision, consider a three-day period of silence or a vision quest. You can, you know, I really like doing the psilocybin assisted vision quest and I have a lot of information on that. You can write to me if you'd like to know more about that. So anyway, this is the time to listen for what is bubbling up for your future. Midlife is a powerful time. So I want to talk now about planning your blessing. Like all the rituals I put in the book, affirmations like this, like the croning ritual, are best when witnessed. Not many people will have been invited to a croning or a third age celebration. So you can do it however you want. I would even consider inviting men and breaking the gender isolation of this important ritual. If you are doing it in only a community of women, you might invite your mother, your daughter, your granddaughter, and any women whom you teach or whom you learn from, women you respect and love, pretty much anyone who will support you dreaming your future into being. 
And I really like this done in a sacred or wild or natural location. Uh, Probably something that stretches you physically is a bonus where you actually have to go through some kind of physical representation of a state change or a task. I know I have a friend who is doing this really long ritualized walk uh, leading up to the days of her ceremony. I have a coming of age ritual that I also wrote about in the book. And it's a time to consider other things like a change of dress or a hair change or a name change or a totem or something like that, that will mark your before and after state. How will you behave or look differently before this ritual and after? When I say um, how you will behave differently, it could also be like, I used to do these things, and at this point forward, I'm not going to do them anymore. And that might be things around caretaking, others, or consumption, or owning other people's problems and responsibilities. You might choose that that period of my life is over, and now I'm going to do that differently. Another thing to consider in the planning is what symbolism of transformation will you use? Will you um, use water or fire or wind uh, to basically place whatever is going into the discard pile from the life that you had into a burn or submerging or burying or blowing it off into the wind? Uh, what, What can you do to encourage a physical sense of the change that is happening in you with the ceremony. And you might also consider any physical artifacts that need to be released during the ceremony. That is all sort of part of the planning before you even communicate with your guests. Like, I want you to consider also the kind of feedback, encouragement, and support you would like to receive from anyone who participates. It's a time to ask for what you want in planning this ceremony. So if you would like to hear how you've impacted them, where they respect you, uh, what they would like to learn from you, what they thank you for, what kind of expectations or something they might release you from, or even how they might support the vision that you shared during the ceremony, you can ask for those specific kinds of feedback on what you'd like people to do to participate. It is, of course, nice to have meals together. It's good to go on a journey of some sort together. Uh, Let them participate in the transformation with you. Do something that acts it out. There's a lot more ideas on things that you might do in the reverence book, but I feel like just by talking about it, it's going to get your creative flow moving. What would you do to demarcate and invite the free period into your life. And then I would also suggest that some memento or artifact that you want to create to help you remind yourself of who you are becoming, a piece of jewelry, an amulet, and then something that you might want to give to the people who come and participate with you to help remind them of the commitment that they witnessed in your transition to this new state of life. This is a time of a really rich psycho-spiritual initiation, your sapiescence, your threshold crossing into the free period. I really want deep enjoyment for everyone, that your pleasure and your ease and your play is what carries you forth now. You've done so much. So 
I'd love to invite you to share your rituals, your croning rituals, the ideas that you come up with with me. You can write to me, Christine, at rosewoman.com or use my Instagram handle, the.rose.woman. You know, I'm findable. And tell me what you've created for yourself. How are you marking this transition? I'd love to see pictures, you know, tag it sapiescence, tag it croning, tag it free period. I'll find you. That's it. That's what I have for you this week. The psycho-spiritual opportunity in menopause. So I'd like to leave you with a poem from 1961. You probably know it. It's by Jenny Josephs. It's called Warning. And it's not that this thing that's a 50-year-old poem is necessarily right in its content, but it's right in the mood which if you're a younger woman, for goodness sake, if you know that this is what you would do when you're an old woman, please do it now. There's no time to waste. But what I like about it is that she is finally dropping into her own need and her own vision after caring and trying to be a good girl and a nice girl and her higher self girl and all of that stuff. All right, here we go. Warning. When I am an old woman, I shall wear purple with a red hat which doesn't go and doesn't suit me, and I shall spend my pension on brandy and summer gloves and satin sandals and say we've no money for butter. I shall sit down on the pavement when I'm tired and gobble up samples in shops and press alarm bells and run my stick along the public railings and make up for the sobriety of my youth. I shall go out in my slippers in the rain and pick flowers in other people's gardens and learn to spit. You can wear terrible shirts and grow more fat and eat three pounds of sausages at a go or only bread and pickle for a week and hoard pens and pencils and beer mats and things in boxes. But now we must have clothes that keep us dry and pay our rent and not swear in the street and set a good example for the children. We must have friends to dinner and read the papers. But maybe I ought to practice a little now so people who know me are not too shocked and surprised when suddenly I am old and start to wear purple.